Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Scripture today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verses 12 to 23, and chapter 34, verses 4 through 8. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, leave these people. but You have not let me know, who, know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Then Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, so for, no one may, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory pa- passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So Moses, so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of, of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Amen. Amen, and thank you, Sophie. Good morning, and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. It's good to see you all. And I know that for the past couple weeks, we've started our annual series we do here at Redeemer Lincoln Square on summer psalms. But if you will, if if you'll allow me, I'd like to pause on that and go back one last time to the series that we've been going through in Exodus Exodus this past spring. And I want to do one last sermon, our final sermon on this. And the the reason why is because the argument I've been trying to make all along has been that we're, we are a culture that loves the idea of freedom. We, we talk about it all the time. It's in our songs. It's in our stories. It's in our, our way of life. And as much as we love the idea of it, often we don't feel very free. And so we find ourselves doing things to try to become more free. New York Times has been documenting a, a series the past couple of months about 
uh, uh, people who have been de-churching and, and the churches that have been closing all across America. And I appreciate that in that series they point out that even though people are leaving organized religion to impart to be free, they point out that the statistic of people identifying as being an atheist, that there is no God, has stayed level around 7% for years, more or less. And I think what, what that means is, is that Americans in general still at some level believe in God, but they don't feel like they have an experience of God. And they've de-churched because they don't see the, the value there. It, and this matters because if there's not a God, guess what? To be free, it's just do whatever the heck you want. But if there is a God and he's designed you and, and he's made you, then the best way for you to get freedom is to have an experience of God. And most Americans still believe there is a God. So the question then stands for us, which is what does that look like? What does it look like to have an experience of God? Christians and non-Christians are both asking this question, by the way. The number one question I get asked as a minister since I started being a minister was, I believe in God, but I don't feel his presence. What, how do I get that presence? How do I get an experience of God? And so today, today's text, the last text we're going to look at in Exodus, what comes together is the end of our series, this essential question, and today's text. Because that's exactly what Moses is asking for. Let's break the text up in three, in three ways. Let's look at what's necessary. Let's look at what's the blockage. And then let's look at what's the transformational fix. So what's necessary, what's the blockage, and then what is the transformational fix? So first, what's necessary? And what you need to know is the context where we are in Exodus 33-34 is Moses by now, he's been called by God, he's led the people out of Egypt, he has brought them out, and at this point, now that they're no longer in slavery, God has given the law, the people have said, we're going to do it, we will obey, and they've now failed. And Moses at this point, he, he's in this shaken space because he realizes, not just they failed it, but the people are never going to actually be able to do it. They're never going to live up. And so he's faced with the dire reality that the people of God are actually in the exact same space as all the people that are not the people of God. And what does he do? What does Moses ask for? Does he ask for more skills? Does he ask for uh, you know, some powerful intellectual ability to speak into the people's lives. No, what does he ask for? Look at verse 13. He says, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Now you might think no is head knowledge, but in Hebrew this word means all-encompassing knowledge. It's not just intellectual. It is to, to really know it means to be almost synonymous with the other individual. So he's saying, teach me so that I may really under, not just understand cognitively, but to experience you. In verse 18, he says, show me your glory. Now some of you will, will say, wait a second, Does, hasn't Moses by now, hasn't he seen God's glory in different spaces? Hasn't he seen the pillar of smoke? Hasn't he seen the pillar of fire? Hasn't he seen the burning bush in Exodus 3? And so you should, it, it's supposed to work with you to kind of say, wait a second, he must be asking for something different here. And we get a hint in verse 15, there's a clue here where he says, if your presence does not go out with us. Do not send us up from here. In other words, Moses is saying, hey, if you're not coming with us to the promised land, we don't even want to go. And that means that some level Moses must have realized that what's necessary for life, what brings real freedom, at some level is an experience of God's 
presence. And I think that's why he's saying all these phrases. It's because to him, nothing is more important than this. That in the crisis of his life, when he's confronted with his future and the future of God's people, when he's at at his bottom space, this is what he wants. And I think the reason why is because at some level he knows that everything else that we experience in life, all cravings, all desires, all wants, at some level is really only going to be fulfilled with an experience of God. And I don't know how much you under, you, we figured that out, that uh, your desire for intimacy today, your desire for relationships today, your desire for career success today, your desire to just have fun and just kind of just stop talking about this stuff, Michael. Even that concept, at some level, those are good things. Even Michael not talking, me, as I talk in the third person. Um, all those things really, at the end of the day, can only be fully fulfilled with the desire of an experience of God. That's where real freedom is found. So Moses is saying this. He's saying, I don't want to go up into the land of milk and honey. I don't want to experience a world of riches and comfort and, and relationship without you. Some of you are like, wait a second. <laughs> a world of riches and comfort and relationship? Sign me up. But Moses knows that you can have all those things, and if you don't have the Lord, you're going to still be unfulfilled. You're going to still have that nagging sensation that I'm not really free. I'm not really where I want to be. And so before we move on, I I just want us to ask, like, do we, how much do we really understand this or get this? I worry Christians and non-Christians alike, we don't get this because Christians still think at some level, if you just have the intellectual idea that I believe in God, that that's going to be enough. And Moses is saying, no, it's not. There's a lot of people in, in the world that they call themselves Christians, they identify themselves as Christians intellectually, but th- they don't actually have an experience of God. It's just a concept, just an idea. God is an idea. And if you do, then you don't actually get this. If we're more comfortable with the material world, if we're just wanting, hey, just give me a concert and some good food and some travel and some experiences and some relationships and some career success, those are good things. But Moses knows that if you Never get those things. You're going to always live a life always disappointed because you're never going to get that one thing. You're trying to attain it. You're trying to get it. You're trying to grasp for it, and you never get it. Or if you do get it, it won't be satisfying. Not fully, not ultimately. You'll have the need for more because really the need underneath all the other needs is for an experience of God's presence in your life. And so what I want to ask of us, what's necessary, the first thing we're looking at here is that you have to, to want this. You have to seek it. You have to desire the presence of God in our life. And it's not just intellectual. The devil and the demons, guess what? They, have a, they probably have a better intellectual understanding of God than you do. And it's not enough because they don't have God's presence. So are we going to be like Moses here? Are we going to seek? Are we going to desire? Are we going to uh, look for it? Whatever else I'm doing up here, what I'm not trying to do for you today is just give you more concepts of God. That's not it. What I'd like for us to do is to act like Moses and say, I am not going to move one more millimeter today until I get a deeper sense impression on the heart, a deeper sense of who God is. That's what's necessary for real freedom. That's what our whole culture is designed. We have an understanding of what we want, but we can only get it here, number one. All right, now, number two, there's a blockage. 
There's something being blocked here. What's blocked? Look at verse 20. If you get to verse 20, it says, God says in response to Moses who desires this presence, to desire God's glory, he says, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. I want to see your glory. And God says, yeah, guess what? No, you can't. You can't do it and live. Why? I've been hearing a lot of stories recently of uh, people who have been wanting to get married and they get engaged. They go through all the great processes of, of premarital counseling. They read a bunch of books. Uh, they, they, their lives are set up and they get close to that date of marriage and it ends. And uh, so, something happens. Either it comes out that somebody cheated on the other person or there's a real betrayal of trust that all of a sudden uh, that comes out and it's over. And you say, okay, what's what, betrayal? Betrayal is this. It's when your promised intimacy, your promised love, your promised care, and what you're given is the opposite. And that doesn't just come in engagement, right? There's familial betrayal with your family. There's relational betrayal. There's career betrayal. The backstabbing that happens, which is why we need our uh, better theological background with the Center for Faith and Work. That's why it's, it's integral to what we do here at Redeemer. Because this, this is going to happen. And we're not going to understand what's going on in this text unless we realize that the context for everything that's happening right here is the betrayal by the people of God on God. That they wanted the gifts more than the giver. They wanted the possessions more than the person who gave the provision. Last month, the New York Times ran an article, Why Do People Lose Their Religion? And it was a uh, basically an individual who went out and tried and asked for a lot of, a lot of stories. Like, tell me why you are losing your faith or you've lost your faith. And the pattern that came up that was reported was this, that over and over most people said, listen, I, I started off, I went to church, I believed in God, I prayed, I was a good person, I tried hard, and then God didn't give me what I needed. God didn't give me what I wanted. And so I'm done. I'm out. And I think you understand this story. You've heard it yourself. Maybe you're living it out yourself. And yet I, I, I had a thought today. What would happen if that was us? What would happen if we were in relation with somebody else and somebody else said to us, hey, I'm in it as long as things are going to go good for me, as long as you're going to give me what I want, as long as you give me what I need. And then, but if you're not, you know what, I'm out. We would feel betrayal. So we don't tend to think of it that way. But what's really happening, one, art, one individual said what's happening in that moment is we're marrying God for his money. We're marrying God for, for what he might give us. If the answer is when things aren't working out, we're, we're done. And we would feel betrayed if anybody did that to us. If people were like, I'm in it with you. I'm, we're going to do life together. I'm committed to you. Until you're not really giving me what I need or what I want. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. My mom said um, often at Christmas time when we were kids, m me and my brothers, uh, Christmas would show up and we would get what? We'd get chess sets and we would get video games. See the balance there? Chess sets, video games. Uh, we'd get toys. We'd, we'd get stuff. And it was happiness. It was joy. 
until the afternoon. What happened by the afternoon is there was fights that broke out and the happiness was gone. And, and my mom realized, and she was telling me about this this past couple of weeks. She was like, hey, you remember this? I was like, no, I don't. I was always my brother's. That wasn't me. Um, I think you're misremembering. It's revisionist history. And her point is, is that you know, what's going on in that moment is you cared about the gifts and not the one behind the gifts. See, the blockage for us today goes all the way back to Genesis, where with Adam and Eve, it wasn't God who left us. We left him. We were given a choice. Do you want stuff, the possessions, the fruit, or do you want God himself? And we didn't. And now Romans 3 says, now nobody actually seeks God. Nobody desires him, which is why it's fascinating in this text. At some level, I don't think it's complete, but at some level, Moses looks like he is. But even if you did, because most of us don't desire his presence, but even if you did, there would be a barrier. There's a blockage because we couldn't see his face, because we can't get close enough to him without instantly dying. Have you ever gone to I don't know if this happened to you, but in New York, I, never, I always look straight at the ground when I'm walking somewhere. So I'm looking 10 feet in, ahead of me because that's how you, with New Yorkers, you're signaling to everybody else, that's where I'm going, so, you know, don't get in my way. My wife tends to look at people in the eye, and so she sees a lot of more famous people. Um, <laughs> I don't see, I, I never see famous people, but her point is, is that when you see famous people, sometimes you get in the presence of somebody that you're like, oh my gosh. And when you're in the presence of somebody that, you're, that, that is just famous, there's, there is a level of, like, insecurity of, like, well, who am I to be able to even talk to this person? If you're a New Yorker, you're not supposed to talk to them because that's what New Yorkers do. You don't, you don't, can I get your autograph? You're just supposed to keep walking by. But if you did, there'd be this, this instant, like, we're not on the same level here. And if that's the difference between you and just somebody famous, imagine you in an infinite, perfect, holy being, you wouldn't be able to stand before them. And yet, what happens for Moses here? For what does God do? Moses, in verse 21 and 22, God says, I am going to protect you. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to give you a rock. I'm going to give you my hand. And yet, what you should push back on and say, wait a second, good grief. If you just said the most important thing for all of us is to be in God's presence, and yet the closest that we can get from at least what this text tells us is covered or set away, or what Moses actually gets is just God's backside. What if I came up here every day when, to preach to you all, and this is what you saw, and I know it's kind of great, but what, what if I preached to you every day, and you never saw my face, that you couldn't, because if you saw my face, you would die, not because I'm ugly, but, you know, because of my presence. What, how, what, what kind of relationship could we have from this? You, it wouldn't be a great relationship, because you couldn't see each other in the eyes. You couldn't look, you couldn't see the body language. You couldn't see the facial expressions. And so you should be saying, oh my goodness, this is what I need, this is what I want, and yet I can't have it. That's the block as it's happening here. And I find it, by the way, this is another thought I had. What's interesting about this text, often the reason why we're not in God's presence is because you're not really wanting it. But what's interesting in this particular text, even if we want it, sometimes we don't get God's presence because he's hiding from us. So you think sometimes God's not showing himself to you because he's indifferent. Maybe he's not showing himself to you in this moment because he loves you. Because you couldn't handle it in the way that you're wanting it. You couldn't handle it. You're asking, you know, was that Tom Cruise? Your body's writing checks that your, your, your mouth's writing checks that your body can't cash? In some, something like that. In some ways, you might be desiring something from God that you, can't, that you couldn't handle if you got it. And God loves you enough to say, you know what? 
I'm not going to be here. I'm, you're not going to see me because I love you. And I think that changes things, doesn't it? It changes then why we, why we go long stretches without feeling his presence, why we, we do have seasons of up and down, and yet we still have the blockage. Okay, so last point. What will fix the blockage? Right, what's going to be the transformational fix? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not actually seeing God's glory. Right? Some people think, oh, if I just see God's glory, it's all going to be fixed. Guess what? Moses never gets that. So it couldn't be the, seeing God's glory. Instead, what does he get? I find it infinitely fascinating that Moses thinks he knows what he wants. And this, this is a lesson for me. I think I know what I need. I think I know what I want. But that's actually not what I'm given. It's not what I really need. Instead, what God, God does show up, and yet the most important thing that happens to him is not seeing his glory. It's hearing his name proclaimed. Look at verses 5 and se- through 7. In verses 5 through 7, it says, The Lord came down and proclaimed his name. And he passed proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. The double emphatic means this is really important. And as he says his name, God's nature is revealed. And, and you're kind of, no offense, New Yorkers were kind of like, so what? Big deal. What you don't realize is the, what he says about himself the revelation of his nature in this moment is the most significant thing that happened, that has happened in the Bible to this moment. It's the summary statement of his nature that sets the course for all the rest of redemptive history. It sets the course for all the rest of human history. It sets the, the narrative of the entire rest of the Bible, and it starts right here. I can't underplay how important what is happening and how God is revealing himself here. That it's a seismic moment. Because you and I say, I want his presence, and God says, all right, here it is. You want an experience of me? Here's what you have to hold together. There's two things you have to hold together. One is that I am compassionate and gracious. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in love. I, am, I forgive the wicked. Right? You could do a whole sermon on each one of those statements. But God is saying, hey, I am all those things. I, for, I forgive the rebellion. And then the key word is, and yet... I maintain love, I forgive the weakness and rebellion and sin, and yet, and yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And there's a lot of narrative angst right there, because what God is saying simultaneously is, I forgive rebellion, and I will punish rebellion. And the rest of the Bible is trying to figure out, how the heck does that happen? The mystery of the Bible, the mystery of God's character is that he holds together two things that we both need, that we need both, and yet we're not sure how it's going to happen. I was talking to my mom about this passage m- a month ago, and she was saying this is actually one, I didn't know this, this is one of my father's favorite passages because it brought together the conditionality and the unconditionality of God in one phrase. I am just and I'm loving. In one phrase, I am truth and I'm love. And I want... I have what everybody needs and what everybody really wants. And it can only be contained in him. And when we split, guys, we, we split out these phrases all the time. Some of you in this room, you're truth and justice people. You love calling people out and you believe it's important to right the wrongs of this world. And you kind of shy away about all that forgiveness stuff because you worry that people will abuse it. And there's other people in this room that you love all the forgiveness and the you know, commitment and the wiping away and all that stuff, but you, you have a harder time about the calling out and the proclaiming and the boundary making and the law. And God holds them both together. And this is the first time he does it. This is the first time that's revealed. 
And you, by the way, it make, immediately it makes, what does Moses do? He worships because he realizes what he thought was going on, what was important to him was this minute issue about the people of God and God just told him something that is going to have a reverberating point and a reverberating um, manifestation for the rest of human history. And I believe no one at the time, and nobody read the whole Bible, the, mo- the Psalms are full of people. God is just, God is just, God is loving, God is loving. Nobody knowing how to, they can go together. And for centuries, nobody knew. In fact, immediately after this text, uh, Moses sets up a tent of meeting where God's presence re- resided with a very particular way about how you can come into that presence with the sacrificial system and everything else, the rest of, of Exodus. And that turns into the tabernacle. And that turned into the temple. And in all those spaces, there was always a place where you can, get, you can come into the presence, but you can't get all the way in because if you did, you're going to die. The very same thing that Moses had on this mountain, the very same place where if anybody got touched the mountain, they would die, is manifested throughout for centuries. And nobody knew how it was going to work out until on the cross with Jesus Christ, the minute he died, the second he died, the six-inch cloth that divided the Holy of Holies from everybody else was ripped in two. And in that moment, what was happening, what was being done, is God was saying, I forgive sin and I punish sin. God was saying, actually, I can be both gracious and just, and this is how it's happening. As real justice being poured out on Jesus, which is a member of the Trinity, which means an aspect and concept in fullness of God, he's taking the burden while still being able to give the love. And Jesus' death and life brings us into the presence of God in a way that we can actually now see God's glory and his beauty in ways that actually Moses could only even dream of. And that's impressive because if Moses is one of the few people who actually want to be in God's presence, we actually have access to that presence through Jesus. And I think we can see that beauty in a way that even Moses couldn't. We have an access to something that even Moses couldn't have. And I need to be very clear here, and this doesn't just come by belief. See, everybody thinks that the important thing in in the world is, do I believe in Jesus? Do I not believe in Jesus? Guess what? Belief is just half the step. Belief is, is trust, right? And trust, everybody's trust something. But I don't want you just to trust Jesus. I want you to know him. I want you to have his presence. And the last thing I want to say before we end is this, is do you have it? What would it look like if we actually had God's presence here? What if we, we desired it? Not, not just desired it, but like made the steps towards it. To be reminded of his sweetness, where even in our prayers that we desperately ask for help, even when they don't happen, even when things get worse, that just the very nature of thinking about Jesus and, and praising him and dwelling on him is enough. What would that look like in our life? I think it's fascinating about how you get aspects of this in even this space. When Moses is filled with anxiety, he's filled with anxiousness. He's saying, how's this going to work out? And how does God answer his desire? Look at verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked. Not what you just need, but what you really, not just what you want, but what you really need. I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Do you see how gentle that is? See how sweet that is? That is there is ultimate sweetness in that statement. This whole week, I was, I've been thinking, what if, 
Everybody in this room from our earthly fathers heard this statement from them. I will do everything you ask, and I am pleased with you, and I know you. If your father, your earthly father said that to you, I bet you there'd be immense healing right now. Imagine if your heavenly father is saying that to you too. There'd be immeasurable healing as well. I see you, and I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. A couple months ago when my dad died, I started thinking a lot more about what, 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 what was he experiencing at that moment? What would it, what's it like? That, what was he going through when he finally saw Jesus? And I was reading Scottish minister Donald MacLeod, and, who died actually the same week my dad died. And he said at this moment in an essay, he said, when we see him, he will hold us and whisper, this is forever. I love that, I love that imagery. He's going to hold us and he's going to be whispering, this is forever. And a friend at the same time was telling me, you should go to Revelation 2, verse 17, where it talks about when we finally see Jesus, he gives us a new name. And as we just saw, name is about knownness. It's about who you really are. And that means my dad right now has a new name. And I just been reflecting on that, that he has a new standard, a new knowingness, that dad has his, this name. Because God took an earthly name in Jesus, we get now a heavenly name. And as great as my dad's name might be on earth, it pales in comparison to the whispered words of God that he's hearing right now and that you will hear one day. And resting in that and hoping in that and sitting in that, that's a sweetness that nothing can assail that nothing can go after. Will you focus on his name more than your own name today? Will you go out of here, not just thinking about lunch, but thinking about your name that's going to be told to you one day, your real name, where we seek the giver more than the gifts? How do we actually get there? That's right. That's always, that's more, I'm always asking that, how, how, how? How do we get there? How do we get into the presence and not just it doesn't happen by just saying, I'm going to believe in Jesus and now I'm not going to be a workaholic. That's not how it works. That never really changes you. There's a process. And the first step in the process is to realize that his presence isn't something that just you can turn on and off, right? We said sometimes it's you, sometimes it's not you, sometimes it's him. There's seasons. But when you see it, when you finally get those tastes, and you get it, how do you get it? Through scripture sometimes. Everybody needs to be in scripture. We see God's character right here. You can get it through prayer. You can get through each other. That's why we do the passing the peace, because you're an aspect. If you're made in God's image, then you're a reflection of God. There's something unique and special about you that only you reflect, that if I relate to you, I will see God through you, and vice versa. These are ways that you can get tastes. And when you get that taste, guess what? Everything else fades. You fade, and the gaze of goodness is upon you. Because on the cross, what happens? You see that perfect reflection of God's love and justice. That, you know, he wanted to die for you. That's the love. But he had to die for you. That's the justice. And then when you have that more than anything else, that's the transformation. You say, what's the transformational fix? It's sitting in that space. And this is the heart of the issue. It's, it's really simple. Do you want God for what God will give you, or do you want God for God? Right? Religious people would want God for what God will give you. Christians, real Christians, want God for God's sake. Please don't hear me saying Michael told me on Sunday morning to just get more religious. That's not what we're talking about. I'm saying get a sense impression on the heart for, for who God is, for who he is. You say, how do I know the difference? How do I know the difference? 
one of my favorite movies is The Shawshank Redemption. It's not a PG movie. But there's a scene in it where Andy Dufresne, he's put in prison wrongfully, and he's worked his way up into the Warren's uh, good graces. So he's working in the office, and a shipment of, of records came in, one of which was The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart. And there's two sopranos, the duets are singing. And what he did was he took this record, the beauty of the song, wasn't something for him that, to enjoy himself. He puts it on the PA so the entire jail would hear it, knowing full well that if he did that, he was going to be punished for it. And he was. He was put in solitary confinement, which was awful for weeks. And when he got out, his friends were incredulous about the idea that he thought, said it was the easiest time he'd ever done. How's that possible? And he said, because he had Mozart in here. He had the beauty of the song with him. And that beauty changed him. The way you know you don't just use God for God, for, for what he gives you, but because you love God for who he is, the first step is that you don't mind the cost of what it takes to get there. Whether it means you don't get to do as much free time, as much me time, as much career time. The costliness was worth it for him, for Mozart, and it could be worth it for you if the beauty of Jesus was in your heart too. Secondly, the way you know that you're not actually just using God for, for what he gives you, but for who he really is, is he wanted, to get, he wanted to get other people to hear this beauty. He felt like he couldn't keep this to himself. It was too good. He needed everybody else to hear it as well. That when that beauty can't be dimmed in your heart by any circumstance, that's how you know that it's real in you. Beauty pulled Andy Dufresne out of prison. And it gave him freedom because it gave him hope. And it gave him hope, not by the way, his circumstances didn't change. He was still in jail. He was still wrongfully accused. But with the presence of the beauty of Mozart, he could handle the slights and the injuries of the world. And if that could be possible with just the beauty of Mozart in your heart, what could you do with the beauty of Jesus that you would be reflecting on on end in your heart? What could you deal? You could deal with anything and everything. Go get this glory. Please don't wait. If you feel frustrated because you're not getting it, you're in a good spot. That's right where you should be. Keep at it. There'll be ups and downs. Moses was there. We're there. Everybody else in the Bible's there. One last uh, application. If you're not a Christian here today, if you're like, I'm not sure I really even believe this. I'm not sure I really know if this is true. Thank you for your honesty. I wish that you would remember that honesty when you look at yourself and see that if you're not putting yourself here with him, you're putting yourself with something else. And the reason why you don't feel free is because you're not free. And you're not free because you're being bound and shackled by something that's not going to give you what you need and what you hope for. And if you are a Christian here today, but you're that type of Christian that says, I believe, but I don't feel his presence, I, you are theologically free. Realize that. You are theologically free, but you're not actually living that freedom. Because the reason why you're angry and the reason why you're hurt and the reason why you're stuck and you can't forgive is because something has become more important to you than Christ. Make Jesus your joy. Make him your life. That's where real freedom is found. And if you do that, as a, if we did that as a church, what happens is your care and love for him and others will spill out. We would change the world through this. It happens in order, first him, then out in the world. But when you do, do that, it would be a life-transforming manifestation that I'm here for. 
and I want our church to be here for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we live this freedom. I pray that we live this real freedom right now, always and forever. Father, I also confess that there's a blockage in my own life. The the things of this world, often, Father, they, they, uh, they, they have my imagination more than you. They, uh, my desires are not always for desire for you. I pray that you just come in my life in a new and profound way. I pray that you come into everybody's life in a new and profound way. Move us to become people of God who desire to walk in your ways. I pray that we realize that you're saying to us, I'm the only one who can fulfill you and love you. If you come in and if you go out and if you fail, I will still forgive you and love you. Nothing else compares as your full nature is revealed. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.